I want to thank Promius for sponsoring this part of the show. Eric and Victor are in the back in case there are any questions there with the marketing team with Promius. And um, <clears throat> obviously this is a slide deck I didn't write, as you can tell. And you'll also be able to tell that there is some element of promotion in there, which is fine. More importantly is we'll, we'll talk about some new studies that are relevant to the way we use Cloderm as well as some, some ways of thinking about appropriate uses of topical steroids and vehicle. And we'll touch a little bit about acne towards the end. Um, what we'll do is this will be a two-chapter story. So after the first chapter, we'll take some questions. Uh, you can go to the microphones, say you're, where you're from and where you practice, and I don't know, we'll find some trivia of some kind in there too, make it interesting. Okay, so again, just a little bit of disclosure that's uh, Promius is sponsoring this part of the session, and they provided the slides and et cetera. Now, what Promius is not going to tell you that I'm going to tell you is that with everything we use steroids for, we have to consider potency, vehicle, delivery, frequency, and consequence, right? These are all elements of why we use steroids the right way as well as where we use them. And think of all of these scenarios in your daily practice and why they come up and why we choose steroids for their reason as well as, or sorry, the reason of, of why we prescribe them, but also what is the risk of using them for too long if we write too many refills or if we're using the wrong vehicle at the wrong place. And you see a couple of these photos here. You know, think of the guy with the knees. Think of this patient here with isolated contact dermatitis, issues on the face in a younger patient, antecubital fossa with risk of striae. These are all potential issues you know, that can come up as far as where is the consequence of using the wrong steroid at the wrong time, right? But the flip side also is if we're not using something potent enough, we're going to run into trouble based on not getting anyone better or running into the areas of potential excoriation, secondary infection, and things like that, okay? So we'll talk a little bit about Cloderm's design as well as its vehicle and where everything fits, but more importantly is we'll talk a little bit about some new data that has to do with some barrier repair and some uh, issues with, you know, going forward what we think about epidermal repair as part of an inflammatory cascade. Now again, Clodrum is indicated for inflammatory manifestations. We, are, we can understand that very easily. Class four is a unique place to be though, because you can make a case that it may be in the right vehicle, it should be a class three, or maybe it should be considered a class five. Where's the utility as far as you know, the areas I just pointed out on the face, on the areas of, of intertriginous areas, and, and areas that we worry about potential sequelae. And that's a, a nice place to be is in class four because you can go up and down in the same vein as thinking of it, if you were in an ointment or if you were in a lotion. But yet the nice part about the vehicle is what it does to restoration of barrier. And that's what we'll talk about in a second. Now, obviously, you know, with any steroid, we worry about all of these other issues, burning, itching, dryness, you know, what have you. More important thing we'll also talk about is allergy to steroids, which is something that is really underdiagnosed in dermatology. And Part of what we don't think about when we're prescribing steroids is steroids actually causing the problem rather than fixing the problem. So something to think about as we, as we go forward from here along. Now this is what makes Cloderm unique, is the, is the halogenation of, of this area here and the groups that are with it. Now the structural modifications are part of something that is an old stereotype of halogens. And we, we probably got a bad rap with halogens, you know, halogenated steroids on the face because of the worry about glaucoma. There was also a worry about potency being mislabeled. All of those things are not an issue when we think about Cloderm because of you know, it being unique for one in its structure, but also when you think about where the halogenation effect is. And that's where this, this group being halogenated, if you think about its metabolism, 
halogen there is okay compared to other areas, but also we don't worry about the risks of halogen, um, molecules, the halogenated base as we do with other steroids that are less, uh, less potent or with a poor vehicle for delivery. Now, the pivolate group is here, and what that does is increases the solubility into the lipid areas as well as enhancing absorption. And that's important in an area that's heavily inflamed, but also when you think about where is the potency needed. And you go back to that patient who added areas on the knees as well as some areas on the, on the lower part of the face. Absorption may be different in hair-bearing areas, in areas that are more hyperkeratotic or have more epidermal change, but also where the barrier is a little bit more disrupted. Okay. Now, <clears throat> what's important about this graph is what you see at the far end, which is triamcinolone through here, and here's, chlor here's chloderm at this edge. Now, think about a patient who comes to see you with a $30 copay, who's got a you know, significant eczematous eruption, who needs something that's gonna work, but also has like that patient who has bad psoriasis or someone who's got very thickened epidermal change. Is there gonna be enough absorption through the field of, of treatment that's gonna get you, you know, some value. And if you think about generic triamcinolone, it comes in a, you know, what is it, $6 for a gallon, right? But what, is the, what does the term generic really mean? It means common and it means easy, right? And that's what triamcinolone is. It's easy to make because it's mass produced in a vat, a very poorly made vehicle, and that's why patients can get it so easily. That's why pharmacists push it the way they do. Right? But the reality is, here's how it absorbs in comparison as far as those areas of, of very high lipid penetration and absorption areas compared to cloder. Okay? That's why you're almost better off giving them the drug that we know where the vehicle is actually going to absorb better compared to the one that may be cheaper and easier on the pharmacy level. Because what's going to happen when the patient's not better? They're going to spend that same $30 copay to come right back to you and complain, right? Or more likely, like they do in California, they'll just run straight to Angie's list and say, oh, don't go back, they're an idiot, right? Which is, you know, but that's California for you anyway. So the point of this is, again, thinking about using the correct vehicle, one that's going to absorb better, but also one that's going to get to the delivery source so that the active ingredient can do its job, okay? Now, this is where we talk a little bit about allergenicity. And, you know, contact dermatitis is an interesting subject. You're probably going to get 10 lectures on it. But if you remember the classes of steroids, group C is the one that's the least amount that's gonna cause potential allergen or allergic uh, phenomenon compared to group B and group D2. Those are the two that you really wanna remember as far as being bad news. The other one that's within the class C group obviously is disoxymedicone, but what we see here with clodrum cream is a vehicle that we're gonna talk about in a minute that will give you some of the other benefits as far as epidermal restoration. And of course through here, if you see in this group, here's group A, Groups D1, D2, group B and D2 are the ones that have the biggest risk of allergenicity. And it's, it's interesting because we don't think about the steroids or the, the treatment that we're using as actually causing part of the problem. But that's where, when we're dealing with steroid allergies, that we have to think about why is the patient not getting any better and why is what we're doing continuing to run into place. So it's important to keep those concepts in mind. And you know, a bunch of us were talking about this before. If you look at desonide, which is a, you know, a very safe and easy drug to use, but it's a, <clears throat> it's a drug that actually has potential high allergenicity, even though it doesn't have a base. And same with some of these other drugs in the group two, D2 area. These are, these are significant concerns as far as, is there gonna be a problem using this down the road? Now again, it's up to us to make sure that the diagnosis is clear and that we're being in tune 
to the risks of, of steroid allergy. But again, that's also coming back to experience as well as you know, recognizing part of the problem. Now, <clears throat> what makes Clodrum interesting here is the ingredients are pretty easy. Sterile alcohol, mineral oil, petrolatum, you know, very, very simple ingredients to use. And that's what you'd expect from a vehicle that's actually not going to cause too many problems. But more importantly, is if you think about what clocortolone, or sorry, uh, clocortolone does as an active ingredient, there's nothing else like it in the marketplace, right? So when we think about generic substitution and everything else, there is no other clocortolone that's in the, it's in the market. Now, these other ingredients are important, especially when you think about propylene glycol, which we know is a very heavy preservative. What, what propylene glycol not being there does is it takes away one potential irritant, but it's not necessary when we have a vehicle that actually serves the purpose in, instead of actually having propylene glycol there as a, as a stabilizer. Okay, so let's go into this the new data that's actually in a poster session outside. And it's talking a little bit about the occlusion as well as the need for looking at the enhanced moisturizing capacity of, of clodrum cream here. And this is where, you know, it was a, a study done looking at comparisons to low-coit lotion, low-coit lipocream, and clodrum itself as well as to vehicle. And what they did was they took four different spots on the arm and a fifth spot of normal skin, looking at all of the ingredients or all of the essence of transepidermal water loss as well as the physical effects of where you see an occlusiveness you know, uh, phenomena, and that's where we'll look at where the corneometer gives us some data. Now, <clears throat> again, this is where they took the study, took 18 patients, looked at four different sites on, the, on this part of the forearm, and all of them were, were shaved dry so that, you know, in, in my arm, which is more hairier than in anybody else's, it wouldn't really be a good study. But if you think about, you know, everybody else was, was shaved and clear, and they took those four spots, and then on the second day, after everything was done and healed, they looked at the transepidermal water loss, they looked under the corneometer, and then after 30 minutes, <clears throat> they treated each area with 0.2 milliliters of either active or vehicle. They divided it up into these four sites, and then they took a fifth site of just plain normal skin at a different spot, distal on the, on the forearm. And then they looked at uh, the, all of the areas of transepidermal water loss and all, the, in, all of the different markers at one hour, two hours, and four hours, looking at every 30 minutes as far as a, a changing time. Now, <clears throat> if you follow the results through here, here's the black line, which is the normal skin. You look at locoid lipocream, the yellow, clodrum at the pink, and then locoid lotion and the damaged skin, right? You see through here that clodrum and locoid lipocream actually had pretty similar results, right? Versus the lotion and the damaged skin, it, it had pretty, I wouldn't say significant, but they really weren't a very, um, I don't want to use the word ineffective, but you didn't see the, the results that you would get in the lotion as you would with the lipocream and the clodrum cream. Okay? So again, you're seeing similar reductions in transepidermal water loss, and you're also showing a, a difference between what was experienced with the lotion base. Okay? Now more importantly is, you see the normal control in normal skin. Where does that tell us that we need a vehicle that's going to have some epidermal repair, as well as where's the process that epidermal differentiation and epidermal barrier are compromised. And that goes along with atopic dermatitis, goes along with psoriasis, any of those other examiner's dermatoses that we use steroids for. But more importantly is, are we choosing the right base at the right spot? Okay. Now flip this around, and this is the hydration and the moisturizing element that you see with Clodrum. And you see through here, in normal skin that's, that's adequately moisturized, you see Clodrum cream is just about underneath that and where that it provided moisturizing almost to the point of normal skin as compared to low-coid lipocream through here and the lotion through on the second one 
and then of course the damaged skin underneath. So again, you see an occlusion benefit and you see the moisturizing benefit, okay? So it's important to keep those, those two elements in mind, again, not only from choice of vehicle, but also thinking about where is the adequate delivery of the active in, a, in an area that needs to be considered for you know, the risks of steroid atrophy and stria for the long term, as well as for potency of delivery. And that's where, again, you think about the forearm or even the antecubital fossa, that's a good place to actually do a study because that's where those areas could be compromised down the road. Okay, so the point of that whole exercise is that, again, you see an occlusive benefit as far as redu reducing transepidermal water loss. You see the reduction as compared to locoid lipocreme, and you see an improvement as compared to locoid lotion. More importantly is that you see a moisturizing benefit that was superior to the other elements in the study and that enhanced epidermal barrier function, which, again, was confirmed in a separate study with a different uh, study group in, in, in similar fashion. Okay. Now, <clears throat> before we go into anything further, think about everything we just talked about as far as the compromise of epidermal repair, I'm sorry, the epidermal barrier. Think about inflammation, all of the things that, may, that I touched on this morning as far as where inflammation gets augmented, where differentiation is important, and where the choice of vehicle that we just talked about as well as the active ingredient have a significant role in what a patient's gonna go through in the next week, in the next couple weeks, and in maybe in, in case of psoriasis, maybe over the next few months. Because what does a patient want you know, in the first week? They wanna get better yesterday, they wanna stop itching, they wanna see reduction of erythema, and they wanna see improvement and restoration of what their skin looked like, okay? This is how we choose the appropriate vehicle, the appropriate therapy, but also what we think about is where is that patient gonna end up in a few days? So think about this eczema patient, for example. I mean, she's 33, she's probably been scratching at this for a couple months, you know, already she's developing signs of, of lichen simplex. She's got it on other areas under her breasts, on the back of her neck, underneath her arms, and these are areas that are very prone to itching. Right? These are areas that where she's going to keep scratching in the middle of the night. She's going to have issues, you know, probably during the workday. Some of this is going to affect what she wears to work or what she's, you know, going through during the day. So again, you know, if, aside from thinking about adjuncts of treating the itching, we want the active ingredient of the steroid as well as the vehicle to, to get through the areas that are overly inflamed and, and get her some relief. So here's the patient, you know, again, one week later after, after uh, twice daily therapy, and you see the difference in not just the reduction of inflammation, but also restoration of the integrity of her skin in those areas, right? Because <clears throat> what, what is it that actually makes itching? You have exposure of free nerve endings, you have release of mast cell ingredients, you have all the circulating cytokines, you have histamine, serotonin, these are all things that are at high levels in all of this inflamed skin. All of those mediators are being shut down by steroids, but if the active ingredient is not reaching to where it needs to go, there's not gonna really be the benefit that we're, that we're striving for, okay? And so this patient, you know, initially said that out of a scale of one to 10, her itching was a 10, now all of a sudden her itching is, is at a two, right? Which is, again, that's an improvement that we want. More importantly, though, is if you, if you really study the, the integrity of the skin of the antecubital fossa, you can see that there's restoration of that barrier as well as the integrity of the epidermis, which is really what we're looking for as far as long-term benefit. Same thing with the patient here. You see some post-inflammatory change as comparison to the baseline at one week. Same thing through here. Obviously, that's gonna be a consequence of scratching, but it's also an improvement based on the reduction of the inflammation that the patient was experiencing. 
Okay. Again, you know, a lot of us would probably see these patients back within five to seven days, or even in, if you see them on a Monday, you're going to see them on a Friday in follow-up. These are the expectations that we would have based on what we understand of the mechanism of the drug, but also delivery based on the vehicle. Okay. So here's another example of a patient here, you know, 10 out of 10 itching on that scale. You know, here's day two, already seeing a significant improvement in the amount of, of itching that's perceived. And then same thing with day seven. I think, again, the picture at day two not only sees, shows us the reduction of inflammation, but it's the comparison between day two and day seven with the impact of the epidermal repair that's based on what we saw in that tool study that tells us, again, there's something going on with not only the vehicle, but the penetration and the occlusion effect of the vehicle giving rise to where's the epidermal repair coming from. Okay. So same again on the back of the neck. This is an area that's pretty tough to treat, it's tough to reach, as well as you see the areas on the base of the scalp. This is where you would think maybe a cream isn't the right vehicle, and yet here's a patient who actually did well with the cream base based on where it actually penetrated as well as the reduction of inflammation. Okay, and then here's a patient, you know, upper back. This is someone I'd probably have use a, use a spatula or have their, their spouse help them put it on. Right? But at the same time, their itching is so bad that they're obviously scratching at it, even probably in the, in the middle of the night as well. And here you see by day four, significant reduction of the urge to scratch. And remember, these are patients who couldn't use any adjunctive therapy because they were in the, in the trial. Right? These are patients that in the real world, we would give them something like Sarna or Pramisone or topical lidocaine or some sort of adjunct for itching aside from the steroids. Right? And yet with steroids alone, they still experience that level of reduction of itching, okay? So again, what's important to remember about what we just discussed with Cloderm is <clears throat> not just the vehicle, not just the safety of potency that's good for the face. The big thing that I always rem remind everyone is the, is the lack of a really true age restriction. Because remember, Cloderm came from the 1970s before the FDA even had any issues with age restriction. But more importantly, we've seen the safety in patients as, as young as three months and I've actually had no problem using it in children or even on the face for a limited time or for areas that are really inflamed in potential iterotrigenous areas. So that's where we have to think about our safety profile as well as the age restriction not being an issue. And then again, of course, with, with the allergy group C, we have you know, significantly less worry about potential cross-sensitization. And then, of course, the versatility of, of the pump, which I actually find to be pretty useful because you have a meter dose, you have you know, safety of not being oxidized over and over again by reopening the cap, and then more importantly is it's a, it's a unique delivery system where you can have somebody you know, who maybe have some issues with getting in too much out of a tube not have that problem with the pump. Okay, and so we reemphasized the tool data, talked about the vehicle, talked about the other issues. Let's, uh, let's take a break for some questions, if anybody has any. You can come to the microphone. Yep, and that's good. See, that means there aren't any questions, which is even better. Okay. So <clears throat> now let's go to the second chapter of our show, which is the Bromius Promise. And we'll talk a little bit about Xenotane, as well as the promise with Xenotane, as far as how it works in saving us headaches and you know, really thinking about the a system of getting drugs through in an easier fashion instead of dealing with pharmacies and headaches. And this again, if you remember what, what Xenotane is, Xenotane is just another version of isotretinoin. It, it doesn't have anything unique about it that separates it from Accutane. It's an AB rated to what old Accutane does. 
it's got nothing to do with Absorica and it should not even be in the same discussion. What's important to remember is how the system works for getting the drug supported. And that's where we'll, we'll think about that. I'm gonna skip over some of this acne data in the, in the interest of time just because we know, you know a lot of this stuff. We've, we know who our isotretinoin candidates are. We know who we want to give isotretinoin to. These are things that come with our own clinical experience and everything else. But again, remembering what Xenotain is, is it's an AB-rated isotretinoin, similar to the old version of Accutane. It's available in these three strengths, 10, 20, and 40. The 30 milligrams is supposedly coming out next year, but for right now, it comes in the same blister pack of 10 capsules each. Important just to remember where it's from. And then again, where the FDA rating of generics come from is being equivalent, safe and effective, bioequivalent from what is being compared to, okay? And that's really what the Xenotain story is as far as being the drug. What I think was important to recognize too is what put Xenotain on the map. And if you can see this graph, this is comparison of single dose 40 milligrams to the old Accutane. And they're basically the same as far as their absorption goes. Same thing with comparison to Accutane at 80 milligrams one time dose, and then again with Amnestine at 40 milligram dose, okay? So again, these are all the, the generics of isotretinoin put in the same family. And again, it's not to say anything about Absorica, which is a completely different drug. Now, <clears throat> more importantly is that 90% of the confidence intervals, all of the issues that went to bioequivalence, all of those issues have been put to rest. So we don't have to think about that. The target of that group is basically saying, if you're writing or if your insurance only covers generic isotretinoin, Xenotain should be the one that we write based on what we understand about how the pharmacy goes. And the pharmacy issues are very simple because if you think about some of these other issues, I'm just going to buzz by and just talk about Xenotain's copay card. The, what, are, what is one of our biggest headaches in the office is copay cards and rebates, right? And the nice thing about the Xenotain program or the Promius Promise is that all of that is taken care of at the specialty pharmacy level. And so we don't have to do anything different except either write or fill out the prescription. Now, what's important through here is once we've identified a candidate for isotretinoin, what is our biggest headache? Our biggest headache is getting everyone registered, dealing with the pharmacy, and dealing with the patient, doing their due diligence, and registering also, right? Now, we can sit there and talk, tell our staff all day long to follow up with that, but, you know, again, it takes time to deal with pregnancy testing, it takes time to deal with the registration, it takes time to make sure the patients are dealing with all of the contraception issues and everything else with iPledge. These are the things that, if they're taken care of for us, we don't have to, have to waste a lot of time with it. And that's where I think we can really find some benefit in using the system like that. Now, if you think about this program, which is the nice little letter Z here, it all comes with different, different steps. We answer the questions in iPledge, we pay, the patients complete all the forms, they review everything in the education kit. From there, you know, the, the birth control issues are handled in females, monthly lab tests, including the pregnancies, these are all things that we can do in the office that, that's already set up in a template. And then, of course, completing the questions and going through iPledge system, these are all part of the program. But also, you think about this endpoint of getting the drug delivered to them without any of the headaches. And that's where I'll, I'll show you how we can beat iPledges that way. Because really, what, what are our problems or challenges with iPledge? Obviously, it's paperwork is the one thing. For the second thing is getting the patient to make sure that they're registered and doing all their work in time. And then the third is the pharmacy, especially when we're dealing with electronic records or all the other issues that go along with making sure things are signed and, and taken care of. Those are the things that really give us a, a challenge as far as finishing up 
you know, getting the prescription covered. Now, if you think about iPledge, you know what it's for, and we can, we can look at it as a penalty to those who have done things poorly. We can look at it as Big Brother watching us. We can say anything else we want. It's really meant to be a registry of sorts, but at the same time, it's meant to really keep awareness of pregnancy and adverse events at a high level. And that's where, again, you, you look at how iPledge has evolved and what everyone has deemed necessary, which is ironic because we have drugs that are more potent or worse for creating problems that don't go through a registry, and yet isotretinoin has, has this you know, headache that we have to deal with. So <clears throat> again, if you think about all the things we have to do in the office, this is not new for us. The problem is it's all very limiting as far as what, what we can do with our time. We can do much better things with our time and, and, and face these challenges differently. Now, I'll just buzz ahead and show you these numbers of how many prescriptions were denied just simply based on technicalities, right? These are, these are things that easily could be avoided if all the work was done. And if you think about how much was not done in males, I mean, this, this is inexcusable, right? There, there should not be one headache of writing a prescription for isotretinoin for guys. And yet, <coughs> excuse me, 39% of those prescriptions were denied just out of counseling or lack of filling out paperwork, right? And 59% of these for, for females, again, just simply because of the seven-day window that was put in place, right? I mean, these are really inexcusable, and yet at the same time, they get in the way of us trying to do our job, which is, which is really not part of, part of what we need. It's not part of the headaches that we need. So again, the other problem you think about is with callbacks from either pharmacies or patients having trouble. These, again, should not be anything that we have to deal with. These are things that we can easily you know, put in the hands of the, of the specialty pharmacy or some advocate that can do the job for us. So again, if you think about what goes on in the office visit, you know, the patient is, is basically confirmed in iPledge from what we do, the lab is done, the prescription is, is given out, right? The patient is gonna do their job, they're gonna answer all the questions that are, that are necessary. What we do in the office is acknowledge all the counseling being done, and then of course before that, you go through the same steps, you confirm, prescription, you get the labs done. These are simple things, and yet all of these things get derailed just from lack of compliance within the system. Okay. Now, what's important too is to remember all of that can be undone with not only the right amount of counseling, but also you know, the right amount of advocacy. And that's where the this concept of the promise is, is pretty useful to us. So what happens is you, know, you fax or you, <clears throat> you send the electronic prescription over to the specialty pharmacy. They basically do all of the work and handle the phone calls as well as the iPledge counseling. And in addition, they're shipping the drug directly to the patient so that it avoids you know, somebody saying, well, it's on back order or we don't have this. And all of a sudden, seven days later, they're out of the window and you got to start over again. The other important part of what Promius has done is they've linked the copay card already to the prescription at that specialty pharmacy level. Okay. So how the promise works is that all we have to do is send the prescription in have the patient demographics, have their contact information, have the dosage, all the things that are necessary for the prescription to go through, and what they do on the promise end, which is you know, called direct success pharmacy, which is a you know, pretty good name for, for something that actually works, is they receive all the forms, they'll verify the patient's enrollment, they'll make sure that everything is, is, is handled as far as the prescription end, and then the, the rebate card is applied automatically to the prescription. Right? And then more importantly is that the, this prescription, I'm sorry, the, the drug is shipped overnight to the patient itself and there's follow-up calls to not only confirm delivery, but also confirm that everything else in iPledge is handled for the next, uh, for the next step. 
Okay, so again, overnight shipping, the frequent reminders to the patient, you know, to make sure for the next time, you know, the, again, the copay card is delivered. Reducing the retail pharmacy stocks is great for us because, again, you go to another pharmacy and they'll say, well, we don't have it or there's always some delay and what have you. I mean, again, it goes back to those technicalities that have reduced the amount of prescriptions that were being filled. And then, of course, the patients get good reference materials. What's important too now is with the movement towards electronic records, there's a lot of compatibility with, the new, uh, with some of the newer systems as well. So again, if you can follow this stepwise design, you know, again, step one is they get the prescription, everything is logged onto from iPledge, patient is, is compliant, they move forward, they get the $100, sorry, the $100 rebate applied to the, uh, to the prescription. If things are not compliant, you know, the office is contacted and there's always a contact number for who in the office to call and then everything else kind of you know, goes backward from there until it moves forward. Prescription is then sent overnight, everybody's contacted, and then there's a reminder to take care of not only their follow-up appointment, but to move ahead with the next prescription. And Promise has done a good job of making some of these forms readily available. They're easy to fax. The computerized uh, generation form for e-prescription is also very easy to sync with your electronic records. And then, of course, there's always some of these other issues. And you know, let's just kind of go through a, through a scenario. Here's a lady, 24 years old. She's getting her prescription for iPledge, I'm sorry, for isotretinoin. She's given Xenotane. She The prescription is then sent in. She's getting her birth control test, I'm sorry, her pregnancy test. She's getting review of birth control. Everything else on iPledge is being completed. This is 9.30 in the morning. By an hour later, the, everything is being done from the doctor's office or from, from all the things that you guys would be doing as far as taking care of the paperwork. You know, everything is, is labeled as far as what time to call. Here's the, the numbers that are relevant for your prescription. And then that's all received at the pharmacy end. By later in the evening, they're calling the patient to confirm that they got the prescription. And they're calling to you know, confirm the shipping day address, confirm everything else that goes along with iPledge and making sure that the patient has done their job. And that's again where we have to kind of push them and say, make sure you do this today so we can get your prescription and filled and get everything to you tomorrow. And then same thing here is the, on the pharmacy level. You see by day two, you know, the pharmacy is getting everything packed. There's a two-step quality assurance program with the pharmacist doing their job, putting the, together the adequate dosage, together right supply. Here's the pharmacy tech reconfirming everything, making sure that all the privacy statements are done, the, you know, the patient demographic matches the prescription. And then one more time, the pharmacist is reconfirming what the farm tech did. And before you know it, the UPS label is put on the box. UPS guy comes, picks everything up, ships everything out that afternoon, and before you know it, the everything just arrives at where the where the patient is. Okay. Now there's you know there's always been question of is the patient going to get it? Does someone have to sign for it? Is it going to be sitting around? All of those contingencies have been handled as well, and that's that's an important part of you know adequate delivery and making sure that the patient gets the drug on time as well as safely. Because the last thing anybody needs is, is for you know, someone to not get their drug or for the drug to fall in the wrong hands, get it stockpiled. These are all fail-safes that are being handled within the system as well, and that's, I think, very important. So again, if the patient can't be reached or can't be confirmed, there are three calls that are made. One call made to the iPledge manager in the practice, a couple calls made to the patient. If things don't work, they pull the plug and they don't send the prescription, or they, they don't send the supply. And then they either redirect the patient to a local pharmacy or they, they contact the, the prescribing office so that everyone can make a make a plan from there, okay? Here's where if they, if they, again, they can't get a hold of the patient, you know, the, the, someone from direct success will call to say, we're either out of the window or we can't get you the drug. We're gonna refile the prescription with a pharmacy that's within the same, uh, you know, the same zip code or what have you.
Okay, so again, it's meant to take out a lot of these technicalities. It's not really about the drug itself, like I was saying. This is more about the system that allows for all those pharmacy errors as well as the pharmacy headaches that we have to deal with to get out of the way. And I think that's what's, what's real important for what we need. And again, it provides that bridge directly to the patients that we see and takes all these pharmacy headaches out of the equation. Because again, <clears throat> there's nothing worse than, than having to deal with a pharmacy who says, you know, they don't have the drug, they have their own headaches, oh, we'll get to eye pledge next week, and all of a sudden, you know, everything we had to do is, is just undone. <coughs> Excuse me. So, again, that's the, the idea that Promius has created for the bridge and then making sure that the copay card is already applied to the prescription and everything else is taken care of through, from their specialty pharmacy end. Okay, so, again, that's a, it's a good story. Right, and it's, it's something we should all think about, but again, it's not the novelty of isotretinoin, it's more about the story of the pharmacy, the pharmacy issues being handled for us and removing some of our headaches. So, anybody have any questions about Promise Promise or anything about Zenotype? Okay, good. Well, again, this, this isn't uh, rocket science that I was telling you, but the, the best part about it is, is these are very s simple things that have to do with Zenotype, which is good. More important thing about the cloderm data is the new transepidermal water loss. And I, I think we should all be grateful that we have a good sponsor for not only the meeting, but also for dermatology and Promius and, and Dr. Reddy's lab. So I want to thank them for uh, giving me the chance to come and give you this little commercial. And uh, I'll be off on my honeymoon in a couple hours. So thanks for having me uh, today. I want to just thank you guys. And um, I'll, I'll echo a little bit about what Dr. Bishop said this morning. It's good to see you guys getting after it and you know, make it work. It's good. <laughs>